Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 5 There's some kind of delay on the runway. Could be the weather. I hear there's snowstorms all over the Midwest right now. Just perfect for flying into Detroit, right? I stop reading long enough to check the time. Russell turns around in his seat. Are you all right? He asks. I'm not sure what prompted him to check up on me like this. Did he hear me stop reading and wonder what was going on? Did he sense the dark thoughts I've been having? It's like this sometimes. I can go weeks hardly thinking about Henry at all. In fact, until I started having panic attacks a couple years ago, I thought I was over my past entirely. Shows how naive I was. I smile at my husband, worried that his compassionate eyes will see straight through me, that he'll know what I'm keeping from him, the truth about what I did in order to become the survivor I am. I'm all right, I answer, just tired. That seems to be all he needs to hear. He reaches out for my hand. The gesture is surprisingly gentle. He's usually not one for public displays of affection. I'm glad to see him looking happy and content. I hope this vacation does him good. He's been under a lot of stress. I feel bad, like it's my fault, like a good wife would anticipate her husband's needs well enough in advance to keep his life running smoothly. Was Sarah that kind of wife, I wonder? Was she the kind who always had a home-cooked meal ready for him at exactly the same time every evening? who tucked their children into bed after an elaborate routine that was full of love and attention and care. Russell doesn't talk about his first wife, doesn't tell me what it was like as Sarah was dying, how the children reacted to the news of her passing. I don't bring it up. I'm afraid that if I did, I'd see that sadness in his eyes, a sadness that I can't take away no matter how hard I might try to fill the hole in Russell's heart. The captain makes an announcement. We'll be on our way soon. It's about time. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about meeting Russell's family. But I also have no desire to sit here in a grounded airplane for the rest of my life. I've never flown with kids before. Wonder what will happen when Andrew needs to use the bathroom. Will he want me to take him or his father? Do I have to go in with him or do I just wait outside the door? Again, I picture Sarah, tired, haggard Sarah, aged beyond her years. Did she like wearing her head coverings? Did she mind the way her long skirts always got bunched up around her ankles? Maybe she grew up that way, so she never knew any differently. I don't even know where she was from or if her mom or dad are still alive. If the kids have grandparents from that side of the family— Is it now my job to make sure they stay connected? There are so many things for me to think about, 
so many plans I need to make. Russell and I are basically still on our honeymoon, but after this trip to Detroit, it's the start of normal life. There are so many things I need to figure out. How to schedule our homeschool days so that we have some semblance of order. What to do with the younger kids while I'm working with the older ones on their lessons. I haven't mentioned this to Russell yet, but math was never my strong suit. Before too long, Betsy's going to have to ask somebody else for help. I take a deep breath, remind myself that nobody's doing any math lessons today. We're all fine. We're here, we're healthy, we're safe. Safe. I sense the change in the cabin before I see anything out of the ordinary. A tension, a kind of electric charge. It would be easy enough to dismiss if I weren't already on edge. I look around, hunting for the source of my unease. Something's wrong. Something happened. Then I see him. Chapter 6 They look so much alike that for a second I forget Henry is dead. I suck in my breath, repeating the truth to myself like a soothing mantra. Henry Harris is dead, which means the man who just stepped onto this plane isn't my captor. He can't be. But he looks so much like him, from his unshaven face to his beer belly to that gaudy Hawaiian shirt. Henry is dead, I tell myself. Dead. He can't hurt me anymore. He can't reach me at all. This man isn't Henry. And then I see the girl traveling with him, the fear that looks so familiar behind her haunted eyes. She doesn't belong with him. I stare at the other passengers. Don't they see? Isn't someone going to do something? The flight attendants are cheerily helping people load the overhead bins and reminding folks to buckle up. Travelers are scrolling on their phones or reading books or shutting their eyes for a snooze. Nobody else sees. Nobody knows. You're being paranoid, Anastasia, I tell myself. Paranoid, that's all. Just because I happened to be abducted as a teen, just because a man named Henry who always wore Hawaiian shirts kept me locked up in his basement for two years so I could pretend to be his daughter, none of this means the girl I'm staring at is going through anything remotely similar. She's wearing shorts and a t-shirt, which make her look even more out of place on this winter flight. Her eyes are puffy, outlined in dark rings, Maybe she's tired from a full day of travel, or mad because her dad told her she had to break up with some deadbeat boyfriend, or worried about her grandma who's lying on her deathbed in Detroit, praying that her family gets to see her one last time. That's what I tell myself. That's what I have to believe if I'm not going to drive myself crazy. Miss Anastasia? What is it? I don't have the energy to remind Andrew to call me mom. I haven't stopped staring at the girl, begging God to give me some kind of sign to prove to me that she's okay. You stopped reading again, he complains. My throat's sore, I tell him. I'm going to take a break. My husband turns in his seat, 
gives me one of his quiet smiles that always breaks my heart, always makes me certain he's comparing me to her. Sometimes I want to yell in his face that I'm not his first wife and never will be. But what good would that accomplish? Maybe we rushed into things too fast. Maybe Russell needed more time to grieve Sarah's death, more time to get himself ready for a new relationship. Looking back at how quickly our courtship progressed, I can't even speculate if he or I was the one who came across as the most desperate. You all right? he asks me. I'm certain he's heard me being short with his son. Certain he's wondering why I can't be more soft-spoken, more tender-hearted, more maternal. Why I can't be more like her. I force a smile. I'm good, I announce with such conviction the whole plane must believe me. It's just a little loud in here. Makes it hard to read. My voice doesn't carry. I let the words die on my lips. I'm staring again, not at my husband, not at this instant family I've somehow managed to make for myself. But at her, this girl. She can't be more than fourteen or fifteen. Still a baby, really. Trusting of others because she hasn't learned yet how terrible life can be, how cruel the world can turn. Happy because she doesn't know about Henry's basement. She hasn't been there yet. He hasn't taken her. But he will. My throat seizes shut. For a second, I picture myself jumping out of my seat and demanding to be let off this plane. Running off, getting lost in the crowded airport. I'll write Russell an apology in a few weeks, once I've decided where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. I'll apologize to the kids, too. Tell them I'm so sorry, but I just can't be the kind of mommy they need. But I don't. Instead, I sit here trembling in my seat. I'm buckled in, my family surrounding me. I have their snacks in my backpack, Betsy's pajamas thrown in, too. There's nowhere for me to go. Nothing I can do except remember. Remember the nightmare the trauma, the terror. Remember everything I've tried so hard to run away from. I've done a good job forgetting. At least I thought I had, thought I moved on. When I didn't tell Russell about those two years in Henry's basement, it wasn't because I wanted to lie or mislead him. It was because, in my foolishness, I actually believed I'd gotten over it, that my love for Russell and my newfound faith were enough to counteract my past, erase the trauma. I felt so happy with Russell, so alive. I thought that meant I was finally healed, that I could finally forget. Except now, I remember. I sit here, trapped in this seat, my hands gripping the armrests, the flight attendant still bustling back and forth to get everything ready for takeoff. And I remember everything. Chapter 7 He says his name is Henry Harris. But you can call me Dad, or Daddy, whichever you prefer. She tells him she wants to go home, and he lets out a soft chuckle. 
This is your home, Jennifer. She's already learned that she can't correct him, can't tell him that her name is really Anastasia Reynolds, that she's never heard of Jennifer before and has no idea what happened to this poor daughter of his. How long has she been here? It's hard to know because all the windows in this basement are boarded up. She has slept on and off, but has been gone for hours or days? Could it be weeks? At one point, he knocked her unconscious. Her head hasn't felt quite right ever since. You're lucky, he tells her after she wakes up. It could have been a lot worse. He bandages a cut on the back of her head and says, his voice full of regret, You remember what happened last time, don't you? She doesn't remember a last time because there never was a last time. Except she's smart enough not to tell Henry this. So instead, she nods and lets him pet her blood-stained hair as he starts to cry and tell her how happy he is now that they're together again. You forgive me, don't you, Jennifer? And she tells him that she does. She learns to lie. As the basement grows colder and colder with the chill of winter, she begins to forget that there ever was a girl named Anastasia Reynolds, that there ever was a world outside of the cement prison, a world of snowflakes and ice skating and steaming hot chocolate fogging up her glasses while she takes dainty sips, careful not to burn her tongue. She forgets that somewhere is a mother and a father desperate for her safe return, a mother and father who might even assume she's dead by now. As long as they don't think she ran away... The cold that seeps into her soul becomes intolerable. She finds herself thankful for the nights when Henry can't sleep and brings down his blanket and joins her in the basement, tells her stories about her childhood. Remember when Grandpa pitched you that softball and you broke the neighbor's window? He told you to go and apologize to the owners because he knew they couldn't be mad at a girl as cute and sweet as you. Remember that? And she tells him she does. Tells him so many times that every once in a while, she dreams about being that same little girl, standing on a doorstep she can recall in vivid detail, explaining to a tired-looking housewife that her grandpa was pitching and she accidentally broke their window. Anastasia never played softball, but Jennifer did. Sometimes Henry even brings down the photo album and shows her pictures of her childhood. That's your best friend, Shauna, he says. She's living in Chicago now, married to some big-time businessman. I saw her dad at the hardware store the other day. Says they're expecting their third kid. Isn't that great? And Anastasia feels somehow happy for Shauna, this best friend she never knew this grown woman whose life has no resemblance to her own, this mother of three. There are times when she wants to cry for Henry, when she looks at this pitiable old man, so alone, so lost in the past. And there are times when she hates him, hates what he's done to her. She's grown so skinny, she can feel her hips stabbing the cold cement floor at night when she tries to sleep. She hates the smell of his body odor, but knows that she's even more unkempt than he is. Some days, 
she's certain she could kill him. Other days, she falls asleep crying, her heart aching for this lonely old man. There's murmuring on the plain. My breath returns to me in a rush. I haven't had a flashback this vivid since... since... well, since long before I met Russell. That's why I was so sure I was doing better, so sure it wouldn't matter if I told him or not. I stare at the middle-aged passenger ahead of me. He's in the aisle, fidgeting with an overhead bag, and when he raises his arms, his hairy stomach pokes out from beneath his Hawaiian shirt. I wonder for a minute how I could have ever confused him with Henry. Henry wasn't that heavy, for one thing. Not that hairy, either. And this passenger is too young. Besides, I remind myself, Henry is dead. Henry is dead, so I have no reason to keep on thinking about him. No reason at all. The children are getting restless. The flight attendant is shutting the last of the overhead compartments. That means we'll be taking off soon. Once we're in the air, I think I'll finally be able to relax. I'm flying to Detroit. I'm going to meet my in-laws, going to spend a nice, relaxing vacation with them. The kids can't wait to see their grandma and grandpa, and Russell tells me that I'm going to get along just great with his sister. Life is good. I have everything I ever wanted. A husband who loves me, a strong and healthy family, the freedom to travel around and take time off to spend with relatives. I'm safe. I'm healthy. And I can't let these scars from my past bubble to the surface and threaten everything I've got going for me right now. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Sky series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Sky series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.